Radio Live. Superpowers. We're here with Reid Deutsch, co-founder and CEO of Jolt, a startup that is a school for uh, employees craving to learn and grow in the new employment world. Reid, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me today. Thank you. We're excited that you're here. We know you're uh, time-pressed uh, because you're going to give a lecture later, right? Mm-hmm. What's that about? What are you going to do? I'm actually giving um, one of my workshops called uh, Startup KPIs or uh, um, Intro to Startup Econ- Economy. Um, it's actually interesting. It's a workshop that was born... from our transparency vision inside of Jolt. So we've uh, said from the beginning at Jolt that we want everyone that works for Jolt to be able to start Jolt themselves. They should have been able to start and the company Jolt's, themselves. And Jolt's, oh, started the company. Okay. Yeah, yeah, they should have been able to start the company themselves. So eventually it made us st- to start as our part of our onboarding process to teach every single new employee, um, like a three-hour workshop about everything in our P&L, you know, how do we structure a business model, how do we make uh, money, what's the margins, um, so that every decision they make is also connected to the way the company runs its finances and, you know, Wow, KPIs. that is very transparent. Yes. And then what happened is the workshop got such good feedback from the employees that Then we started getting requests to do it uh, externally, and we just like published online that we'll I'll give it once to like for free, and thousands of people signed up. So I give it twice for six uh, hundred people. And now I'm just giving it as part of jolt as a regular uh, on a regular basis. And I put the entire talk online. Um, for anyone to use you, you can, can even be found find on, uh, on slideshare. you can find the full presentation. There's like a, a summary at Jolt's blog. But I think people really look differently on businesses when they understand, you know, what margin is. Why, why don't you give the first lecture of, like, the transparency, like, the business model and everything? What's, like, what, what was that decision? I hate to answer questions. That's, like... The, okay. So, it always starts with... Throughout everything? And- it always starts with just being lazy. I mean, uh, um, CEOs and, and sometimes execu- executives and sometimes even managers tend to like to keep things for themselves because it gives them power. And I think um, part of that power also is... about the fact that you keep things to yourself and you're needed when people have questions. Um, and I hate that. I think uh, when employees are better informed to an extent that they know everything they need to know and everything their managers know and everything that's needed to make every decision, they make smarter decisions, they're more committed, they're more accountable. So when you tell someone, it, it really reduces the level of stupid decisions because if someone is... Let's give Jolt as an example, because that's my closest one. So we, you know, for those who don't know, we're like a gym membership for learning. So people can actually have a monthly re- uh, recurring uh, membership for uh, taking as many classes as they want. In our menu campuses that we set up in, uh, within the cities, we have campuses in Tel Aviv, soon in London. So essentially, you know, imagine someone would come and suggest, let's do a three weeks course at uh, Jolt. And it may make sense. But then if you know how the economy is structured, how much people pay, why do they pay that much? Um, what's the cost of every class? What's its uh, perceived value? How much value does it, does it give? You may either come with the same uh, suggestion but have it better packaged to final decision or you wouldn't suggest something that cannot work with the business model or doesn't make sense for the business. So when the employees know everything there is to know about the vision, the strategy, the board, uh, the economy, They just make smarter decisions. And that how transparent do you get, though? Because it seems, I think most managers feel like you're saying they, need to, they, they know everything they need to know. But I think that's debatable. Like, what, how much do they need to know? Do so they need to know your salary? Do they need to know uh, if there's financial problems? Like, how far would, do you go? There's just one tab in one spreadsheet in the entire company that's um, not transparent, and that's payroll. Um, again, it's transparent for the executive team and it works on a very, very structured base so that everyone at the same level make the same money for, to create justice. But I think, you know, there's some, you know, some startups go as far as publishing the payroll and stuff like that. I think it's, it's a privacy thing and people right. just like to have that as a private thing. But anything else is up for grabs. And you know what happens when you let people know everything? They tend to not worry about it. So if I'm not... You know transparent with the budget people will be like very curious about the budget right? right but if the budget is just 
sitting there in the drive and available to every everyone, people care less. And then to that extent, how transparent are we? We had a board meeting two days ago. So the board meeting ended 8 p.m. at 12 uh, p.m. the next day. was standing in front of the company presenting row by row the entire summary of the board meeting uh, so that everyone knows exactly what we discussed, why we made decisions, how were they their opinions uh, um, taken under consideration. Um, and it goes all the way to an extent that when we create like a document that we want to talk with the board about, uh, and, you know, I'm starting with getting the professional input from the people in the company that, you know, professionally should give their input. And once the document is like a final draft in this specific case, I send it out to the company in Google drive and says, like, if anyone else, you know, wants to pitch in, read it and have any ideas or comments they want to suggest, feel free to comment on the document. And then you feel included. And guess what? You get really good ideas from people you would never expect. Um, from the engineer who worked on that product uh, and knows that like one problem you never thought of, of or for, from the right. support guy that actually talks to people on the phone all day and he says, you know, you completely missed out on this one. Right. On the other sense, but you said something interesting. I'm thinking, you said, it said like the, the, when you empower your, your employees, it's from a lazy point of view, mm -hmm. but you can only control, like, do you think you can, it's not for every executive. You have to have a lot of confidence and track record. Mm -hmm. Uh, in my opinion, because it wouldn't work if it comes from um, not having confidence. I don't want the employees to know that much and I want that power. Today, you're in a different position, I'm guessing. Like, they, they need you anyways. Even if you have no control and no power, they probably... Yeah. It may be owner's confidence, I agree. Like, the fact that um, when you're confident in your place in the company, it's easier to say, you know, just be transparent and, like, don't worry about your job. But to an extent, you know, it's a bigger philosophical discussion of, like, does being confident and transparent makes you a bigger person or does being a bigger person allows you to be confident and transparent? And I would say right. the, the former, not the latter. I think uh, what makes great leaders is that confidence that they will deliver value even without, you know, keeping secrets. And, uh, and, and I think when things are going well, uh, that theory is almost easy. Um, oh, we've had some rough times no, I'm, I'm, with, with okay. transparency. Because I'm because I'm thinking it's become it becomes challenging when it's rough. Because mm -hmm. then I would think the fear is that people would walk away because they would think about themselves and they would think, okay, it sounds like we're gonna hit some sort of wall. This is the time for me to now find something else to do. So that is, you know, it's one of the most fascinating lessons I've learned at Jolt because we've been transparent from day one. Um, and we've had some really rough times. We started with a different business model. We were selling B two B. Um, and you know, my, my co-founder and I lived in San Francisco where the company, most of the company operated from Tel Aviv and we had a lot of, of issues and we, you know, we're burning cash fast. We raised $2 million seed, seed money. And by the time we had like, you know, $400,000 left in the bank, we were still not sure like what our product is, which happens to a lot of startups and most startups actually fail at that point. And then how does transparency works when you present every week the cash status to the entire company and they know exactly what your sales rate is and, you know, everything is just out in the open and they see your, your mood. Um, and then what I realized is that, you know, one of my vet investors, Bobby Lent, um, has a sentence. He says, people respect what they help build. Hmm. Uh, and when someone has been part of the journey, when it was rough and when it was good, when shit hits the fan... They're actually more committed, more accountable. People are good. They don't walk away from, from uh, danger if they feel like that they were part of creating that danger. If there were, imagine when we launch a new model and it doesn't work. If I thought of the model and came up with the board uh, to the specific model, and when people gave their comments, I said, you know, I know best and this is mine and trust me, and then it failed, then you know, I lost the faith of the of my team and, and people will probably, you know, walk away. But then if we built it together and when people give comments, we actually uh, treated them. And when we thought differently, we explained why. And when we presented to the board, we, uh, you know, gave credit to different team members. And when all of that happened, if the model doesn't work when we launch it, then it's everyone's. It's, you know, you don't walk away from something that you tried to do uh, and didn't work. You try, you try to improve it if you were part of trying it. That's right. They feel, they feel a part of something. 
So you got to that model. So you say from day one, you were transparent. Like, mm-hmm. how, like, why'd you get to that? Like, why did you start like that on day one? Um, first of all, it's a matter of character. I, I am really part of my m- most basic belief uh, is that I, is that people connect through their faults. Like we connect on what's challenging for us. We connect on what we see as vulnerability in other people. So as a person, um, I learned that you shouldn't be presenting, you know, your best self, but rather you should be presenting your real self. So that very cliche advice of just be yourself, it's not about, you know, let go of, of big ambitions and, you know, don't try your best. It's about show what really bothers you and tell about what's really wrong. And that is how I hold myself as a person. So when, you know, I, when I had to build my CEO persona for Jolt, um, and if you really, you know, when you start running something, if you just take an hour, an hour, I'm not saying like take a week, take an hour to think what kind of a CEO I want to be or what kind of a manager do I want to be. If the company closed and failed miserably and three years after it closed, people will ask what kind of a CEO Roe was when you worked for, for him, what would I want them to answer? And it was clear to me that I want to be considered um, as a leader rather than a manager and that I want my you know greatest dream, like the, the one thing I want to achieve is that people will remember from me that they earned from from interacting with me, that they got something out of it, that they were empowered, that they grew from it, that they learned something new. And that means that even when building a company and you can pay a lot of money, and when you start, you can't even promise anyone success. Like we still can't. So the only thing I have to give people is like is is giving them is seeing them for who they are and giving them room and appreciating them. And when I hire someone to really trust them that they know what they're doing and give them full responsibility. And we kind of like to say we have a, a mafia mindset so that mm-hmm. if you're if you were accepted to the mafia, you're in the mafia. That's it. And if anyone hurts you, you know, we'll kill him. <laughs> how, do you, how do you accept people to the mafia then? Okay, that makes hiring very hard. So funny thing about Jolt is that we won numerous prizes in the in in HR innovation and really? and I wrote a, a book about our about Jolt's uh, HR uh, uh, methodology and I give a TED talk about it. The point is we don't have an HR person, <laughs> so it's funny to say that we we are very um, people see us as like an HR uh, driven company and we don't have an HR person and. In the beginning, I thought that was odd, but now I understand that that's what makes us good in HR because we don't see HR as something that you can just give someone and say, no, you're now the HR of this company. You're responsible for the human resource, but rather that is what we are. You know, for a company that doesn't do do, uh, hosting or service or cybersecurity, people is all you actually have. And it's really a cliche, but if you really incorporate it into everything you do, then hiring becomes one of the, the hardest things that we actually do. And I like to say when, you know, when I explain to someone what my role in the company is, and I say CEOs have to deal with uh, hiring, strategy, and fundraising. And in every given, any given moment, they're only dealing with two of them because you can do all three. So like if I'm fundraising, then I'm doing fundraising and strategy. And then if, I'm, if I just got the money in the bank because I fundraise, then I'm doing strategy and hiring. So I have been spending a lot of my time since the beginning of Jolt in just hiring the right people. And when you do hire the right people, it goes such a long way. If you really give them, you know, an opportunity to grow and if you really let them lead the way uh, themselves, then it really proves uh, to be one of the most productive decisions you can make. So that's the trick about how, how you hire. Like, what, what, what's like, how do you filter out the people who are amazing, but they don't have the right chemistry? In the so I look at it. First of all, chemistry is the, is a leading word here because I look at it as uh, of social uh, engineering. So my greatest belief in that sense, which is, it, that's very correlated to what we're trying to achieve at Jolt, is that you know we all work in made up jobs, right? Um, I don't have to tell you guys; you just explain to me what you do, and and I, um, you both work in made up jobs, and I work in a made up job as well. And a made up job is a job that w- did not exist 15, 20 years ago, that doesn't have a clear path to success, uh, that's not uh, built or made by the universities or the government. So if you're a doctor, you have a real job. But if you work in tech, usually you have a made up job. If you're a data analyst, you have a made up job. If you're a CEO of a startup, you have a made up job. If you have to explain to someone what you do and the title doesn't say it, 
you have a made up job. So the point is, if we all work in made up jobs that don't have clear path to success, and I can't measure like a previous experience as saying, you know, oh, he's for sure that person is right for the job because they've done X and, and, and Y, then I'm left with just the person. So I'm left with, I need a person, you know, especially if I'm hiring, we have a, a whole team at Joel that's called Jolter Success. How do you hire a Jolter Success Manager when you just made that up? So you have to come up with a few things that will help the social engineering work. And the one thing that has to work is that people connect to one another. And what people connect to is just similar people. Now, the honest mistake most corporations and startups do is thinking that, you know, the term PLUs, people like us. Hmm. So the wrong way to do PLU is to say, well, I'm a white privileged uh, men, then I will hire a lot of white privileged men and we'll start a white privileged men company. And that's why most companies have white privileged men in, in uh, leadership positions. The right way, I think, to do PLUs is understand what the core uh, traits of a person that you admire and appreciate are, really narrow it down to like two, two, um, three, four things, and then being really, 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 really tough and only hiring people who present all four traits. But how can you tell? So that is something I haven't been able to duplicate yet. So I don't want to be that CEO who says, yeah, we figured this out. I, I just, I can just tell by myself. And that's why uh, we have, you know, 40 people at Jolt and they all swear that this, you know, is the most empowering job ever and that they love everyone at the office. And it's something that we worked really hard to build. But the point is, I can tell you what the four traits are. And we're, we've been building experiments and tests for trying to like machine, machine machinize the, the, the that. But eventually, it really um, goes down to to really thorough interviews and really trying to understand if the, if, the, if people hold those four traits. And whenever we had to fire someone at Jolt, it was always based on like, you know, we thought they have those two traits or one trait, and they didn't. And we just can't succeed at Jolt without them. You want to know what they are? Yes, I'd yeah. love to know that. So, by the way, the the four traits have a mirror, which is like the four. We have like the four ways to succeed at Jolt. And they're a complete, like, it's exactly how you take those four traits and make them into culture. And the four traits are independence. So you can't succeed at Jolt if you're not really, really, really independent. To an extent that you'll be able to start something, think of it, plan it, and execute it completely by yourself and never, never, never be dependent on anyone. Which, by the way, creates the best type of teamwork. When people help one another from a place of, of, uh, of passion and not from a place of, I need you, it creates a better team. And then... The second part, by the way, independence is very hard, easy to measure. We measure it by, you know, tell me about something you've built yourself, right? right? Most people have no answer to that question. It's that easy. Like you will ask someone, I can see on your faces, like, what, what's the last time, I, uh, what's the last thing I've built? <laughs> the, the no, thing I actually is, have a few things in mind. I'm actually thinking that's a great way to measure it. Yeah, because for you guys built a lot of things. So it's obvious to you that you're independent, but then go ask 99% of candidates and they, they've never built something themselves. And I don't care if it's like a party, I've built a party or I hosted an event or I wrote an article, but have you done something yourself that's completely self-driven? Yeah. So that's one. And then the second one is uh, ruthlessness, which we uh, define as nothing can stop you. And that is measured at Jolt. We call it the cultural part of it is don't block and don't be blocked. Mm -hmm. So we say uh, the one thing we hate at Jolt is when people explain why something can't happen or it didn't happen or they... Or was, it's like saying problem solvers. Yes, but like ruthless people, they, they don't even see problems. So like imagine I'll give you an example and I had to build a very complicated budget for the board and our financial director just started his job. So he's not ready to build a, a budget. And my CFO, external CFO said, you know, this will take months to build. Three months will cost $15,000. I need it in a week. So I found um, a, an accountant accountant that lives in southern Italy that is a PwC alumni and his sole expertise in life is doing really 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 thorough budgets and I made him do it in three days and the bottom line is I have the budget now no one cares you know no one even knows no one cares that how I built it but the fact that when you when you get to a wall you say okay that's option one <laughs> what's option two what's option three and there's always a hundred options there are always a hundred options I hate it at jolt and rarely happens when someone explains why they couldn't do something, right. you know, it's like hashtag first world problems, but we're working in the most privileged environment. You work in a company that's funded, that's, that's branded, that people like, that people want to help. 
We have a community of experts, a community of students. There's nothing we can't achieve if we just try hard enough and, and do it in a ruthless uh, way. And have that mindset. And have that mindset. Yeah. And you can't teach that. You just no. can't teach that. And then the third one is a, a unique creative mind. So we like to say that most companies succeed by following best practices, right? The one thing a company needs to do is spend less money by doing the right thing, by learning from other companies. And we've, we've known from day one that if you want to reinvent a 2,000-year-old institute because we're trying to re reinvent higher education, um, then we'll have to have a completely new mindset and just reinvent everything. So nothing, we don't even call students students. We call them sojis. So like everything adult is reinvented and it's part of our brand promise. So that can be easily uh, measured either in creative tests, and I can tell you about a few if you're interested, but, but also it can be uh, measured in assignments. Like here's a problem we actually have from today. See if we can solve it. And it's for some uh, uh, positions, we pay the candidate so that they treat it as a, as a project. And we say it's worth the $2,000 it will cost us to get this experiment to see if this person can actually function. And that removes from the table that thing of like, yeah, but how much should I invest in it? I don't know if I'm getting a job. That's not important. Right. And then the fourth uh, and final and maybe most important trait is um, intellectual humility. So coachability and are you able to learn things quickly? Uh, and are you interested in learning? And we actually do that in, in a subliminal, subliminal, uh, so like subtle tests during the process when we teach people things. Like you would get feedback in, in some point of the project and we'll test later on if we implemented it. We'll see how you respond to, uh, to feedback and learning things during the process. And we, we like seeing people, you know, show us uh, traits like, you know, they've taken online courses, they proactively went and learned things, they're curious. They learn something independently, whatever. It doesn't matter. But if a person can't learn quickly, then they wouldn't be able to do a made-up job, right? And by following those four traits, what you actually get is a team that's made of completely different people, you know, but completely the same. When they speak to one another, they love one another because they, they are driven by the same engines. It's high energy, but a lot of entrepreneurs. Like, those traits are very... Entrepreneurial. Uh, very entrepreneurial. Like, yeah. you must have a lot of talented people going on to the next business sometime like it depends maybe Joel is an environment that's amazing for them and also because it's also in tech so you get a lot of diversity but they're super energetic yeah so so first of all I don't know if I said it but the one uh, thing we keep saying is that everyone adult <laughs> I said it everyone adult should have been able to found Joel themselves right so being entrepreneurial is everything but I, I, I felt like saying we're looking for entrepreneurial people doesn't say anything right, right, right. we want actual characteristics <laughs> that we can recognize and measure uh, over time. Now, our hiring methodology, so we call it chapterships. You know, I, I wrote a, a book without name uh, based on the methodology we've developed. And I said, you know, we're going to hire the most talented, incredible, smartest people. And we're going to help them grow because that's our mission. We're a company that just help people grow. So we can't, you know, even think of, of force keeping up them with us for more than a, a, a specific period of time. When we know that the average is that people stay with the company for a year, year and a half, we can't expect them to stay with Jolt for years. And that would just create a heartache. If you think people will stay with you longer, you're disappointed when, when they leave. So what if we, before we even start, we define that a, an employment at Jolt is a two-year chapter in the end of which you can either you know, get another job in the same company that fits your new skills and traits, or we'll help you find the job elsewhere and we'll, mm -hmm. we'll even like appreciate you getting that. And we started that two years ago and it's, it's been a few months now since all of the first cohort has finished their first two years. And uh, besides one person, they all just stayed for the uh, next two years. What we did in those two years, that's the most important part, is we honestly asked them what they want to achieve and want, what they want to be. And we've built an entire uh, ecosystem in the company that supports their goals independently of the company. So we have, for example, a career coach who's also a psychologist and you get a, a biweekly meeting with her. And she has all the tools and budgets to just like help you get solve whatever you want. So what happens is you have this person who knows everyone and knows the company really well. And she sits in the KPI meeting. But she also, if you, if you've seen Billions... Yeah. yeah. So it's like she, it's a it's the Wendy Rhodes of uh, of Jolt, right? So she, you know, wor is working with you, and you say to her, you know, I feel like I'm not appreciating my team, and they don't ask for my opinion enough. And then you have this person that understands your problem and how to help you solve it from your own perspective, but she also understands what you can do 
and helps you understand what you can do, you know, um, systematically to change it. She can say, you know, maybe what's the most important thing for the team now? Oh, you're developing this and that. Maybe you can suggest a project and present it and that way people will see. And what it, what it does is that you get this like kind of like a cricket at what movie had a cricket? I can remember. And Pinocchio. Yeah, Pinocchio, like the cricket in Pinocchio. <laughs> nice. It kind of like gives you the right advice and helps you keep growing and also holds you accountable for growing because you sign this as part of the process. You sign in the first few weeks, you sign this commitment to like the things you chose you want to learn. Right. And then you, you're held accountable, accountable to, to yourself. Yeah. And you were saying that your options are either you help them find uh, a job somewhere else or to move to a new chapter. And I'm just wondering, don't people also want the stability and the option to stay at their current job if, if it probably is also a job that's very empowering in, by nature? But look, yes, and it's my best interest to have them stay. But look what I'm saying as part of this process is I'm telling them, you know, two years from today, you need to be where you think today you want to be to show me that you're able to uh, improve and to, uh, uh, to show yourself that you're able to improve and to not get bored. And in two years' time, we'll find you a position in the company that fits what you will be in what two you've years. Become. Yeah, what you've become. And you know what? We have an office manager who become a business operation, a business um, development manager, and we have a, an engineer that just became a product manager. Because in two years of developing uh, code and writing code, he has done everything needed to become a great product manager. Mm -hmm. And the day he finishes two years, he became a product manager in the product team. Now. If he wanted to become a product manager at Jolt, he will probably have to qualify with a lot more qualifications, but he had the opportunity to build himself for two years as a product manager, manager in the team. And we funded the right courses and books and, and projects and, and helped him do whatever he needed to make sure that when he applied to becoming a product manager, we accept him for his actual traits and qualities and not for, you know, because we promised to him. Because so we never promise in that sense. This is amazing because you're setting forth really elaborate methodologies and you've brought up, made up uh, jobs before. And this is completely, I'm assuming this is completely made up. Completely, I've yeah. never read anything like this before. I've read similar stuff, but not, not such a clear methodology that's so clear to itself about what, it's, what the end goal is. And I'm wondering, how do you go about even thinking of that? How do you just make that happen? So how, do you, how did we come up with chapter shifts? Yeah, and in general, like you approach your company in a very different angle than we typically hear. Mm -hmm. In Joel specifically, you do have a kind of an advantage. You do have an advantage because as a school, you know, in, in the big sense of it, you do have a big bit of like flow of people who are curious coming up and learning. And uh, from the first thing you said, from the transparency side, they're already connected to the organization. So you probably have a really good flow of people, mm -hmm. whereas in, uh, I don't know, service for cloud-based in mid-Chicago wouldn't have that flow of interesting people coming in that are curious. So mm -hmm. did that help you get to the, the, those ideas? or? So uh, the two questions actually uh, work together because, first of all, about the people aspect of it, I really do believe that we only have, you know, one life. And I would never imagine spending mine not doing something that helps individual people. Um, and more than that, we really see Jolt as a movement in in the sense of it's not mine and it's not my co-founders. It's our teams and it's our students and it's our instructors. And we, you know, I can elaborate on processes that we do with our students and with our instructors to build the product and make decisions. Um, and the truth is, if you're honestly released from, you know, the need to be recognized for inventing something, you're able to create so you know, such bigger things. And that is, I think, our greatest privilege of Jolt is, is being, you know, having a move, that movement of people uh, working together and doing that. Um, it also helps that we have a big mission and the mission it can only do good, right? If we were doing online gaming, then we may have not, you know, be good for some people. But, you know, we're a company that does higher education, that's affordable, available. Uh, even our black magic, we're trying to make it addictive, but I'm trying to make learning addictive. So like if I'm successful, the world has earned something really, really great. And that is why people really are eager to support this cause mm -hmm. in a sense that in terms of like, uh, how do we come up with, the, with those ideas? So um, I have a very big personal fear. If I can you know, share something personal is that I really am afraid to get bored and I'm really am afraid 
to be, how do you call it, like mundane or general. Mm -hmm. So like so many startups fail and so many like lives are spent on, on projects that don't leave any more. And I, you know, when looking at this journey, when we embarked on it, I said, you know, most odds are that we'll fail. Uh, and if we use every dollar we get and if we use every minute we spend on actually developing concepts and, and, and thinking of uh, and building movements and empowering people in a way that will stay longer than, the, than whatever the company's life cycle will be, then we've made a difference even if we failed. We can fail, in fact. So if we, um, every person we touch with our ideas and every person we touch with our concepts actually creates, I think, a wave that is stronger than just making the company successful. And what this makes is, first of all, our brand promise at Joel from day one is, I don't know if you heard it, we said it's, it's a huge neon sign on our, uh, in our office space and we have stickers and, and laptop stickers and became very popular. It's uh, fucking exceptional. Yes. So fucking exceptional. It's funny because people today don't even, some people don't even know that it's ours and we've, I made it up. Uh, but the point of fucking exceptional, it's of course provocative and, and saying fucking in any official company, especially a learning institute. Uh, we use it mostly internally in that sense. But the fact is, we don't just want to be different. We want to be different in a way that's completely different. And I think that's where good ideas come from. Because when I, we really like hearing Agile when we, you know, pre present something new, we like to hear things like, I've never thought of it that way or this is completely different than anything I've seen. Now, it may be completely wacko and a complete waste of money sometimes because you, do, you try to reinvent the wheel, which is not a good business practice, but when it makes it, it opens people's minds and it creates creativity and innovation and allows room for mistake. So if we do, if you launch five crazy projects and four of them are, are not successful, but one is insanely successful, we've never have come up with such a project if we, if we weren't in a mindset of doing right. things completely, completely different. So. In chapter ships, going back to the question, my brief was, you know, we're opening, we're launching Jolt in the US, we need a great team, no one knows us, you know, how do we get great people? And the answer to anything that starts with how and is connected with people is first thinking of the motivations of the people you're going to serve. So I'm going to try and, and allure really high quality people into my company. What is their motivation and what will what concerns them and what will we agree on? That's the three question I ask for market, marketing or project building. What will we agree on? What, what uh, the motivation of the audience is and what, uh, is, uh, what uh, concerns them? And when you think of candidates, especially good ones for employment, they think things like, you know, I'm not appreciated enough in my current job or like I don't get enough room or impact for what I uh, believe in or I really want to learn new things and I feel like I stopped learning. People kind of like treat workplaces as schools today. Like I come to learn. And when I finished growing, I just leave. And they also kind of know that they don't want to stay anywhere for more than a year and a half. So it's like the opposite, like seven years ago of job security. You know, yeah. like today, today's everybody's looking for, for those highs, those highs. I want to learn. I want to change. I those want to evolve. Yeah. And it's like, it's, it's so different. Like no one's looking for, notice that he didn't even to speak about money and not security and not, you know, how big you are or how small you are. It's like, it's a very, that's, that's a really important note because we're a very privileged part of society, right? Mm -hmm. People who work in tech, we all make more money than average. Mm -hmm. uh, and recognizing that and understanding that money would not be the way to allure the best people in because there's always a bigger fish. There's right. always someone who can pay more. So if you really try to, to come up with what do they care about? And you realize, you know, we realize that we need to introduce something that fits exactly to what people of today need. And they want a, uh, a chapter in a company that appreciates them and listens to them, that cares what they want to do and achieve, helps them achieve that, and is really willing to release them once they, they're done with no hard feelings. Imagine the, the, you know, we actually asked people before the two years ended, which can be a terrifying question in another company. We said, you know, are you going to stay with us for the next chapter? And we were like, yeah, of course, I want to stay here forever. But... The point uh, is just asking them and, and giving them the sense that if they want to leave, we'll be it's completely okay. okay with it. Also creates a sense of excellence and, and a competition. Like, right. you know, it's, it's not obvious that I'm here. And I've actually taken that concept from 8200, the right. elite intelligence unit, because I thought, you know, this is the most innovative organization on the planet. The, the most innovation, innovative uh, organization I've met. And they have to switch people every year and a half because people just like, 
finish their military service. Right. And they actually made it into a, a, an advantage because they keep retraining people with the things they've learned. And they and people just like make revolutions every six months because everything keeps changing. That's what makes them such a cutting edge, innovate, innovative intelligence force. Right. Because they just get new blood all the time. So you were able to tap into what they're doing with respect to how they're uh, getting people on board every time from scratch and getting them exactly where they need to be and then continuing that process? To an extent, because, you know, I'm a marketing person, so I kind of like took it and packaged it. And what happened next is that after we launched it, 8200 came to us and said, you know, we really like that program you've launched. Can we introduce it to 8200? And I was like, we copied it from you guys. <laughs> and then really? it's just like we packaged it uh, in a commercial way. So it suddenly looked like very good. Right. And we explained to them what, what, why what we're doing is exactly what they have. <laughs> uh, and then they were like, okay, that's cool. It's funny because it's like the, the extreme example of how you stay innovative. Because that's one of the biggest problems of like older companies. They have to change the blood. So they have to be super innovative because there's no structure that stays there. On the opposite yeah, side, they, other people it's interesting. That's like that's it's it's like chaotic because there's no other organization that I can think of in the world that has to change employees every year and a half, three years, or whatever. That's uh, that's super interesting. Interesting, and and they were able to actually figure out how to do it smartly. And I think many other units, uh, from thinking about the army and also other companies, they don't know how to solve that. Right. Because other people just turn, leave, want to do something else. Or you don't get the right fit of people, and you, or you just don't know how to empower them. Right. But this is all super interesting because I'm trying to understand still if you were always like that. Like, did you always have that sort of structured mindset of setting up that vision and then setting up the milestones to get to it with respect to how you empower the people around you, how you lead to that? Certainly not. I, I've gone through a huge shift. Um, it's funny enough because, like, before my my military service when I was a teenager and and um, I started my career and I was you know switching jobs every like eight months and month and I get before the army yeah yeah so I like I sold my first company at 15 and then I started getting all those you know propositions and you know I started working for television and I've built companies and I've I've I, I, I but wait, wait wait stop there so you've sold your first company that you founded when you were 15. Yes. So how, how do you get to that? Most people at that age are playing so video games. You know, don't imagine like a significant exit. It was still very exciting because it was a company and then I sold it. But, um, <laughs> you know, the point of it was I, I, I lived in a, you know, rural part of Israel and, and didn't have access to like a mall or li not even a library. Um, so the internet was kind of like a place to go. And, and I taught myself um, how to, you know, use it in numerous ways. But the point was that I set up this website that eventually was interesting for purchase for cash at the broadcasting company. Uh, the point of this is that I used to like really want to just like switch things every few months to stay excited. And what I eventually learned is that when you do something you really, 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 really like doing without apologizing and has nothing to do with money, um, then you just like, you can stay forever. So I worked for, when I got into politics and started running political campaigns, I just I, I was in the board of a, of a political party for four years, which is a lot for a lifespan of a 28 year old. Um, I did. I've done that for four years and I enjoyed every minute of it. And I only left it for for Jolt, which was, you know, my, you know, pursuing my biggest life mission. And I really feel that Jolt like I'm building the company of my life, um, which makes me come excited to work every day, even at the fourth year of doing it. To your question. Not only were, were I not, I wasn't always like that. My thought process after like being trained to be a commander in the army, when I got to, I finished my army service and I became a hired CEO for a company and, and I had to like run a tour, turnover for the company in less than a year and it was very hard. And I really came as like a field commander. Like I really came and like, you know, had people come at 8 a.m. every morning and like it was really tough with them. And I was like, I thought my power to, you know, comes from discipline, from discipline. And I was successful in that. Like we ran the company to profitability and it was eventually sold. And I was able to like, you know, build new technology and rebrand the company and replace a lot of the employees. But I finished that one year with a completely, you know, my, my soul was, was black. I couldn't stay. I just, I wanted to leave as early as possible because it, it wasn't fun coming to work every morning. And I hated myself for, you know, just like interacting with people the way I interacted with them. 
there was very strict and some people who would call it professional yes but like it's not for my character right like i'm very 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 personal i like talking to people i like understanding their motivations i like you know i'm excited about things i do i like smiling so it doesn't work with that <laughs> disciplined state of mind of like you know i'm the commander in chief now jolt is almost an experiment for me and i'm not a hired ceo i'm the ceo that founded the company and I almost allowed myself at founding Joel to just like be myself and see if it works. I was like, I'll be the CEO that just, you know, my employees follow me on Instagram. They like, everyone knows my mom. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I got a divorce and they all, you know, were like aware. And, and some of them, you know, came, came that day to, to the, my living room to talk to me about it. Like I'm very, very personal and close with my mafia. Right. right. If you really want to look at your people as a mafia, um, then you have to be really close to them. Right. You know, they eat, I don't know, what do mobsters eat? They eat pasta. pasta. I think that, Probably pasta. Yeah. <laughs> they eat pasta together, right? So we, we do that as well. There's a lot of mafia people getting really angry right now. You yeah, know? we yeah. hate pasta. We don't like pasta. I'm, I'm sure you have a big uh, following. Yeah, it's the biggest. In, in no, it's no, biggest niche. Yeah, it's absolutely. Really good very popular that. there. Yeah. And, and what, what, so, so, on the financial point of view, do you hire or gain investors in the same way you gain employees? Like, how do, you, how do you bring on the investors that you need? Because bringing money on and bringing strategic money, which is actually more in the sense that they're more strategic than just, you know, wanting to have funds. Is there like a way to filter that out as the right money? You know, I'll take a step back. I'm, I'm very dramatic in my point of view to life. Like, I, I look at life as, as something that's, pretty dramatic in, in the sense that, you know, I want everything I do to be like historical and like significant. So I look at things with a very wide lens mm -hmm. and it's a very silly way to look at things. And it took, took a lot, a long time for my partners, to, for example, to get used to the context switching. Are we talking about Jolt of five years from today now, or are we talking about Jolt of tomorrow morning? It's, it's very hard, but I am just like accepting myself for who I am and knowing that I'm really, really, really not the person that will be able to sit with someone they don't like uh, and pretend. I'm like, I, I would just not be able to be nice and it just wouldn't work and I'll walk away eventually. I wouldn't be able to. So like, there's no one a jolt. We have the airport test. Have you heard of the airport test? What is that? So the airport test is, you know, I'm considering of either hiring you or having you as an investor in both ways. We may, you know, fly to some somewhere at some point. And we may get stuck in the airport because there's snow or we may get stuck in the airport because the plane doesn't work. I get if I'm stuck with you in an airport for five hours, I'm closing my eyes and I imagine that experience. Am I dread dreaded by that experience or am I excited towards it? Now, take every I'm, unfortunately, my, my schedule is very busy these days, but take any person at Jolt and offer me the opportunity to spontaneously get stuck with them for five hours. And I'm, you know, I'll be jumping up and down my seat of happiness. Same goes for my investors. And if they don't go through that test, I would do not, I'm not able to work with them. So we just onboarded, we're, you know, I don't know when this episode uh, will air, but we, we're going to announce on our latest investment round soon enough. And one of our- Congratulations. Thank you. And one of our uh, new investors, when I met him the first time, he looked really tough. And first of all, people, you know, you want tough people at your side. But then like, just like starting to, you know, it's a flirt getting investors. It's kind of like, you have to get to know them and see if you like them. And, you know, I suddenly learned that, you know, he really likes good wine and like, he has a really good taste in restaurants. And when I offer to meet somewhere, he offers like a quota spot. Um, and suddenly you learn, you know, their hobbies and habits and you see who they are. So like in Silicon Valley, for example, you really see like tribes of investors and like what type of investor do you have? So my investor calls himself like Bobby Land from, from Hillsman. He's our first investor. He calls himself a passion surfer. Like he uh, runs himself, like his fuel is the passion of entrepreneurs. Now he, if you start looking at his motivations, you know, he's a highly successful Harvard graduate who started a company and sold it and, and IPO'd it for $4 billion. That's the kind of person you want to interact with. Now all that's left is having great chemistry with him. So imagine we, we're in San Francisco and we're flying to Israel for 16 hours of flight. That's, a that's the kind of person people you have on your board, people you're going to fly with for 16 hours sometimes. And I can talk to Bobby for like three days in a row and, and, and not you know, get bored. And he has uh, you know, such wise things to say. 
And just like one note about that is that I had a, a board this week, as I, as I said, and we had a board uh, dinner and we were sitting there, me and three of my investors and um, which I admire and appreciate. And we, you know, ordered food and we ate and the conversation started on where should be the next location Jolt opens campuses in. Now, I have no idea what the answer is, right? I'm, I'm, I'd love it for someone to just give me the answer, but they start arguing about it. That point in time of me sitting and looking at like three really, really, really smart, accomplished people arguing about something and using the terminology I coined three years ago and is completely made up. You know, I still to this, it's like such a good experience because I still to this day when people like, you know, argue whether, you know, how many jolters do you need per soji? And I'm like, you guys are aware that I made this, these words up. And suddenly it's like, it's a terminology and people like write on their resumes that are sojis and such a fun experience to make that uh, happen that I know for investors, like my, my one tip, and it, again, it's, it may sound like cliche is like, even if you have the opportunity to take money from someone you don't appreciate or you don't want to sit with, don't do it. That's, right. it's, it's to that ex- extent because you can't, you know, you can't, you just can't do that. You can't build a business you love and work for a company you want to work for. Right. If your partner in crime is not the type of person you'll be able to stay. Well, and it's amazing as, as an answer that you gave, because what's fascinating to me is that Renan was asking you from an angle of how do you get them on board? And you didn't even think of it from the way he asked your line of thought is how do I screen them? How do I choose them? How do I make sure that they're a good fit for us? Like no, no doubt that they're going to want to invest. They're the ones getting the opportunity. And now it's up to you to decide if they're right for you. Yeah, I wish the word was that simple. Uh, the thing is, I look at marketing and sales in general as a process that starts after you recognize the, the, the person that wants your product. So that's where, where it starts. Mm-hmm. Everything up to that point is, you know, lead generation, marketing, right. whatever. But then like the sales process starts by the mutual screening of the parties. And I think, you know, even today when we market Jolt, I'm not looking to teach people why learning is important. My audience is people who think learning is important mm-hmm. and that when I show them my product, they think, you know, this is the best best thing since sliced bread. Because, mm-hmm. you know, anyone else, I would have to spend millions on, on, uh, on uh, alluring in. And then when I meet investors, I know after three minutes if that person is I don't need them to be, you know, happy about my idea. I need them to be thrilled. I need, I need them to be dramatic. I need them to say, this is one of the most interesting companies I've seen in my lifetime. And if, I, if my name is associated with this company, I'll be proud. And to get that, you recognize if you get that in three or four minutes. You don't need more than that. So when I meet a person and if they don't get exci- as excited as I think they should get excited, that's a screening process for me. So that pitch moment of like meeting the investor and, you know, Showing them the idea, I measure their response as much as they measure my business. And if we got to a second meeting and the person appreciates and is excited about your vision, that's where the, um, how do you call it, uh, tango starts and you actually start dancing and, and seeing what, what's happening. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we have to go. What we, uh, I just want to ask you at the end, what do you think your superpower is? I don't get disappointed. Um, I can be really, 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 really excited about something and have it fail really, really, really miserably. And I, I wake up the next day and I don't even remember I've done it. So how come, like, how do you do that? Cause you look forward. Mega optimist. Yeah. I'm a mega optimist. Yeah. I the think usual thing we, we identify. Mega optimist. I feel like, I, I almost feel like it's a disease. Like I, I literally went, you know, again, I got a divorce this year and like, I, what do you say to that? Congratulations. That I mean, like, yeah, yeah it's, I'll throw it's whatever it's you like, want. I'm trying to just accomplish everything. Oh, I'm 30. <laughs> so I'm saying, like, I have to get divorced in that list. Uh, okay. But like, uh, you know, two hours after, you know, that happened, I was like, you know, I need to work out tomorrow morning because like starting every morning with a workout would make me like, you know, more happy and productive. And I've been working out every morning since. But just the point of like starting the next morning with like a completely new mission and being very practical and productive about it, um, I think represents my one superpower. And then sometimes I have a conflict with team members. They can be run a, a really important project for them. And, it, and, and we get to that final point of making a decision. And we make a decision that it's not good enough or it can happen. And I'm, I can be very light about, you know, canceling something. But people, like, get really um, con- mm-hmm. connected to their projects and ideas. 
and actually that's one of our cultural traits is no sentiment we call it like don't have sentiment for anything like you made a project you love it it's incredible and it doesn't launch because something changed we're a startup get used to it it's right. like you never 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 can achieve a big anything if you're if you have higher too high of a sentiment to the things you create or pot committed you know like it's a mistake and you're still there because you invested in it but we also before we let you go we got to know like what do you think uh, your kryptonite is Wow, that's a really good question. I would say it's nutrition. <laughs> I feel like, uh, let's say, if I get to that loop of compensative eating, like if I have a really rough day and somehow what go go goes in mind is I need a burger, I, I would start, I really recognize it lately that I will start the next day not as fun, not as productive, not as entertaining just because I ate junk food. Uh, so I'm really, really work. I re work really hard to eat really healthy. And it's helpful that a CEO. It's not like a discipline. So discipline. Yeah, I'm thinking that too. It's not like a burger. It's like discipline, isn't it? What do you mean? Like me. Yeah, it sounds like that uh, That burger is, is actually like your discipline. Like you, it means you're off course for you. Yes. And I can't be the burger, you know, tomorrow. And that's the, of smart. course. I wake up the next morning and I feel like I've, I, I got off track, right? I, I'm not, I've, I've done something. Betrayed yourself. Yeah, I've, I've betrayed myself. I've done something that's not good. It's not like that after every burger. And in fact, if I plan to eat a burger, then I'm completely happy with him. <laughs> right. And then uh, I try to eat really healthy and it's helpful that I, I get to choose, like, I got to choose what we order to the to our office. So we only have, like, nuts and, and uh, dates and, like, uh, good yogurts and tofu. Like, we have a lot of healthy, uh, redundant of healthy food uh, and over the course of time when you just like you know have a lot of healthy food in the kitchen and the alternative requires you to get out of the office to the august heat people just start getting used to eating healthy and everyone in the office just like it's super healthy we actually a lot of people lost weight since we moved to our current office so and that's another really reason to stay in jail yeah, yeah. <laughs> i so, would leave but i'm so thin yeah. and where are you going to be through that really wide uh lens that you're looking through where are you going to be uh, what do you mean in a like few years? in the future yeah So if I, just being very dramatic to conclude, if I die and the only thing I've done is creating an alternative to uh, the Academy, then, you know, I'll die a happy man. Amazing. Dramatic. So, <laughs> I hope you die a happy man. And Hopefully. Thank you yeah, so much but maybe time. let's hope thank that it you, happens guys. in a long time. Thank you so much. Thank you. This Appreciate was great. It. Real life. Superpowers. Technology. It's alive! Real. Live. Superpowers.